Welcome to the Caregiver's Toolbox, tools for everyday caregiving. We provide education and information on senior care topics. Here's your host, Ryan McInniff. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Caregiver's Toolbox, tools for everyday caregiving where we give you information and education on senior care topics. My name is Ryan McInniff. I am the owner of Minute Women Home Care, and this is another solo podcast. I'm usually Janet for long-time listeners is on this, but um, we're still kind of figuring out how we want to go about doing podcasts um, together. So for the time being, uh, I'm doing it alone, and I think with the amount of information that's coming out and being home and having the time, I'm going to keep trying to put these out. <clears throat> there was a uh, relatively concerning article that came out, of what, and you probably think, well, which one, Ryan? Um, because there are so many. But this one had to do with the, the home health care company, home health care industry, excuse me. And uh, it is on Reuters. Um, it is U.S. home health care industry warns of possible collapse. And so basically what they're talking about, and I won't go, th- I'll, t- uh, here, I'll do one quote here. A Texas-based company operating in 26 states instructed its caregivers to leave the homes of clients who recently traveled from states with, quote, widespread community transmission, end quote, or who had contact with anyone screened for coronavirus, regardless of whether that person tested positive, according to an internal directive reviewed by Reuters. So... What's going on is that home health care companies are on the lowest of the totem pole when it comes to getting PPE. Um, This is pretty well understandable because hospitals need um, the PPE. They need the masks um, and gowns, most importantly. But um, I have contacts, and I've mentioned this on other podcasts that have that are certified agencies, home care agencies, and they contacted their suppliers, um, and there are two major ones in the area, um, in the nation, um, and basically we're told that don't expect any supplies anytime soon, and even companies that had placed orders before the real panic occurred. Those orders were canceled and then rerouted um, to the federal government or to states that need these services, um, need these these products, excuse me. We've also heard multiple times from multiple governors that there are bidding wars between states to get PPE and um, equipment. Our own governor here in Massachusetts um, was visibly frustrated and nearly swore on TV because he had numerous orders that were confirmed. The money had been placed and spent and wired, and they were then refunded their money on numerous occasions saying that somebody else got it. Now, that could be another state. In some cases, that was the federal government. And in one other case, that was the country of Spain. So clearly, the country of Spain called up and said, hey, listen, supplier, we'll pay you double the amount. Send it over to us. And they did. And, you know, obviously, a state like Massachusetts can't compete with a country like Spain when it comes to, you know, price and and money. 
So what we're clearly seeing is that hospitals are going to be number one, then nursing homes, then um, maybe assisted livings, and then certified, and then private's going to be at the very bottom. I think private's going to be um, the equivalent of uh the equivalent of of your neighbor right so it's between your neighbor and a private agency we're not going to get much um much you know uh preferential treatment so but anyways what's going on is, is that these home care companies are extraordinarily worried about what's going to happen with ppe and what's going to happen when their clients inevitably get sick um, and let me just say before I go into this, when I talk about home health care, I am talking about hospice. I am talking about certified home health. I'm talking about anybody that gets contracts with ASAPs, if that's a thing outside of Massachusetts. And I'm talking about private home care. I'm talking about any type of care, whether it's for seniors or whether it's for children or anywhere in between that provides care in the home of any kind. So when we're talking about home health care, we're talking about a relatively wide umbrella that encompasses anybody that goes into anybody's home to provide care. That can even include people that are, are, are I don't want to say purchased, but people that find their caregivers on care.com or Craigslist or through word of mouth. It's anybody that goes into the home. But when you start dealing with um, actual companies, they need to have processes and procedures in place for what to do in these scenarios. And the problem that they're coming up with, they're coming up against, is that there's no way to get PPE of any kind. And so what do you do when you have a client that now could be positive or is positive or has family members that are positive? What do you do in this situation? And some companies are saying, I'm out of here we're walking away because they're between a rock and a hard place. Is it better to care for one individual, as callous as it might sound, is it better to care for one individual and have the risk be much higher that your home health aides get sick and then go to another client and then spread that disease? When you're talking about our workforce in this industry, the majority of them, maybe even the vast majority of them, have second and third jobs with different agencies. So I've mentioned this briefly. Uh, I've mentioned this in detail, excuse me, on other podcasts, but very briefly, I'll go over it. If you're a home health care provider and you provide care to the people in the homes, and you're especially private home care, but certainly other industries as well, caregivers come in, they interview, and they get hired on. And then they're considered per diem or as needed. And they, those caregivers will then go to three, four, five, a dozen other agencies to become employees on a per diem basis for them. And then they will get calls from different agencies with different cases and they will make a decision on what case they want to go with. So they might have a case Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with company A and then company B calls up and says, hey, we have a case on Thursday. I'll take that as well. And then company C calls up and I'll says, hey, I'll give you hours Thursday excuse me, Friday and Saturday. And so now a caregiver is working for three different agencies, three different clients, six days a week. So when you lose one caregiver in the workforce, you're in theory affecting up to three or four different agencies. And if that caregiver gets infected by that one client, client A, they in theory could infect client B, C, and possibly even D. And then you have the spider web of 
caregivers sometimes see each other at the changes of different shifts. They interact with each other. They know each other. They give each other a hug or a handshake, or they're using the same pens and equipment that another individual is using, and then they get infected, and then they, the spider web just goes out from there. So that one caregiver infects four other caregivers. Those four caregivers infect four more, and as we know, it just spreads like that. Now, there are not right now, they're thinking is around two, but in a condensed area like that, it could be much higher. So what these agencies are doing is saying, hey, the lesser of the two evils is to just walk away from this person and say, I'm sorry, we don't have PPE right now and we can't provide care because we can't risk it. And this Texas-based company is saying that it doesn't even matter if the person's screen positive corona, if they even have any connection to somebody that might have corona. We're walking out of here. Um, the New York, um, in New York, the uh, trade association there is saying that um, uh, dozens of caregivers, caregivers have left their jobs and their patients, hurting efforts to swiftly screen at-risk adults and slow the spread of the virus. Now, granted, that's dozens of caregivers. New York City just alone has 8 million different people in it. So saying that dozens of caregivers have left their clients is a little misleading because that probably happens on a day-to-day, -day, on a weekly basis when there isn't a pandemic going on. But I'm sure what they're trying to say is, is that as this gets worse, especially in New York City, but elsewhere in the country, caregivers are just going to walk off the job. They, we can't force them to go into a client's home. We can't force them to do anything they don't want to do, especially if an agency cannot provide them PPE. Now, you know, there's no way to know when you're dealing with what we call private privates or under the table workers, how often this is occurring where people are just not showing up. It happens all the time when there isn't a pandemic going on, which is why we get business and other agencies get business. So I have to imagine it's certainly going to be widespread in the upcoming weeks if it's not already. But these are the concerns that are going on. Now, it also goes on to say that, you know, people are spending um, a huge amount of time, sometimes successfully, but most of the time unsuccessfully trying to procure PPE. And the, the, the issue is, is that um, if we can't find PPE, what do we do? And so this is going to have... So, unfortunately, I accidentally hit a button that turned off the video. But anyways, we're back. Um, this is going to have profound effects in three areas, if not more. One, it's the caregivers. It's the workforce. From a business perspective, this is the biggest thing that every agency, every home health care company is worried about. If the workforce goes away, we are all screwed. We are in real big trouble if that happens. And when I say the workforce, again, in my earlier example, one caregiver could be providing care to three or four different individual clients. Or to make matters worse, a lot of the caregivers work in assisted livings for full-time work and then supplement that with private care. So you're not only talking about individual clients, but you're also talking about senior care homes. We have ha definitely had caregivers that work in nursing homes and that work in assisted livings and then work with us on a per diem basis when the hours, uh, their hours allow it. So if you have an individual that gets sick providing care to a client because they have COVID and then they go into a nursing home or to an assisted living, you could very easily have a situation of what we saw out in uh, Washington.
So that is the number one thing where, you know, in the business side of things and, and in general, being everybody being getting sick, if the workforce gets sick and it spreads, it's going to have a huge effect negatively on everybody from hospitals, nursing homes, assisted livings, adult day, all the way down to private agencies and hospice companies and certified agencies because we all rely on caregivers. And anytime that you look into uh, the number one thing one, number one thing that's um, negatively affecting this senior care industry, it is lack of caregivers. There is not enough of them, and there's already a shortage of them. So to have even 20 more percent or 30 percent become sick and not available is going to put a huge stress on the industry, and it's going to put a huge stress on the safety of our clients. Now, secondly, the other thing is the caregiver, tra- the, 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 the clients getting sick. You know, so what do you do? What's the best thing to do? And and you have a situation that I'm in that I can walk away. We're, we're a private agency. We are a private transaction between two consenting parties that say, I'm going to provide services for you in exchange for money. And so at any point in time, at least with our service agreement and most service agreements, you can walk away from them and just say, hey, we're done. And that's on both sides. That's on the business side and that's on the client side. So it's a little less complicated for us because they can make that decision and there's really no recourse for that. Now, you can argue back and forth, is it the moral thing to do? I mean, that's that's the reason why we're having this podcast. Is it morally acceptable to walk away from a client and say we're not going to provide care for them? When we all kind of know that that's probably for the better good, or the argument is it's for the better good because isolating one person ensures that other people aren't going to get sick, especially when our clientele is the most at-risk individuals for this virus. They're older with underlying health issues. You know, there there are very few 80-plus-year-olds that don't have some type of underlying health uh, condition. It's just whether that underlying health condition is susceptible to this virus and this disease. So that's bringing in that kind of moral dilemma of what do we do? Now, with a private agency, you can walk away from it. You can, in theory, walk away. And we've had it on the other side where clients have walked away from us. And you have to accept it for what it is. They're nervous. This isn't that we did anything wrong. They just don't know. And the only way to be safe is to quarantine. And if you have caregivers coming and going to different clients, that which is what is occurring, you can't guarantee that they, they aren't going to be exposed to the virus. But the, where this is going to get really interesting and where there's really a lot of issues is that if your, your payments, if your services are tied to a grant or tied to the government. So when you're dealing with ASAPs, when you're dealing with hospice, when you're dealing with certified agencies, those are all getting the majority of their payments from either state or federally funded um, programs. And they have in their contracts with these um, government um, payers and agencies that they have to provide care for people. Hospices in Massachusetts have to visit their clients on a tw- uh, once every two weeks with a nurse. What happens if that person has COVID? What do you do? Well, certainly there's telehealth, but um, that doesn't that doesn't change on-hand care when you need to be administering medications to somebody. So who's going to be taking that up? Is that going to be the family members or is that still going to be on the hospice? And so what happens with these companies 
that are put in position where they are feeling like they are forced to provide care for, with somebody for COVID. They don't have PPE to protect their employees. And then those very employees are going to go to other clients to see how they're doing. And so you might say in a callous way, well, they're on hospice. They're going to pass away anyway. Well, while that might be true, do you is that the way that somebody should pass away? And secondly, what about the family members that are visiting their loved one for the last time? Then they're going to be uh, exposed to the virus. Or, you know, the biggest fear a lot of people have is dying alone. They want to they want to pass away with the people that they love. They don't want to go through this very scary um, experience that none of us really know about what happens by themselves. And so if somebody's in isolation and they can't meet, meet with their loved ones and see their loved ones, is that an appropriate way to pass away? I don't know the answer to these questions, but there are certainly questions that are being asked right now. And so if a, if a hospice company or a certified company says, listen, we can't do this, we can't risk it because if our workforce gets sick, we're not only going to infect other um, hospice agents, uh, hospice clients and their family members, we might go out of business, we have to walk away. Well, they're also taking the risk that they get penalized or their license is pulled because they didn't do what they were obligated to do through their contracts with the state and federal government. Talk about a rock and a hard place. So this is one of the things that this, um, this article brings up, and it's in Reuters. It's U.S. home health care industry warns a possible collapse. And there's certainly some things that I probably haven't even thought about that are, are concerning to people. But that's, at the end of the day, what... I'm reading out of this is that agencies, whether certified or non-certified agencies, are being put in a position where they don't know what to do. They don't have PPE. And because of that, the default um, belief is that they just walk away from a case and leave the individual to fend for themselves. And that's a horrible thing to say. And it's a horrible thing to be in that position. And it's got to be a horrible feeling if you don't have any other support than the people that are you're paying to come in and provide care for you. I mean, yes, it might sound great. Hey, it's not as big of a deal or not might sound great, but it's not as big of a deal when you're when you have family members that can step up. But there are a lot of seniors out there that don't have family members that can step up or don't have family members at all or their relationship with family members is so bad that they're isolated one way or another. So, you know, and if you don't think that's a reality. It is 100% reality. We did a whole podcast uh, months ago, or maybe it was a year ago, on how out in Denver they're having issues where uh, family members drop off their loved ones to the ER and then walk away and say, hey, we can't care for them anymore. I never loved my mom or my dad anyways. You deal with it. You figure it out. This isn't my problem. This is now your problem. And they just walk away and they say, hey, hospital, figure it out. It's not my issue. So there are a lot of families out there and a lot of seniors that don't have any support of any kind for various reasons. So this article talks about those issues that are going on. So anyways, it is something that is a concern. I am not saying I have the answer to it. Obviously, we need more PPE. Obviously, we need more uh, um, face masks specifically, but certainly gloves as well. Um, I do believe that the United States economy and, and a lot of different companies are stepping up and are going to be providing that PPE for us, but it's going to take some time. You just can't turn on, you can't, you know, as much as we like it, you can't call up Ford or GM and say, start making, 
masks tomorrow and then all of a sudden a billion masks show up at your front door it takes time to ramp up it takes time to change over the machinery it takes time to train people on how to do this and then they got to re they got to source the material to do it and then they got to make uh, the manufacturing and, and the production of it and then they have to ship it out it takes time to do this and i think once we get to that point and i think it's close that ppe is being made in a a fast um, at, a, at a heightened way, you know, it takes time to get up there, right? Ramp up. And once that it hits the top of that curve, we've been talking about the curve, but once it hits that um, point where, hey, listen, we're at full capacity, you know, 3M and all the other companies are making, you know, 100 million masks a week and shipping it out. And all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it's moving, moving quickly. We're going to see those masks trip, trickle down quickly is my hope, but I don't know how long that's going to take. So anyways, my name is Ryan. That's the Senior Care, the, the Caregiver's uh, Toolbox podcast for today. Um, it's certainly something that's interesting and certainly love to f- hear your feedback on it. So with that being said, I wish you the best. Thank you very much for listening and have yourselves a great day.